Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to Body One Watch, the Explosion Airways Premium Media Podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content. Help you answer the question. With all streaming prices going up, is the actor strike actually going to end soon? I think so. I think they're prepping. I'm your host, Ashley Lobley. Join me today, Dylan Blight. Don't know about that one, Chief. You don't think they're just raising prices so they can afford all the extra <laughs> extra residuals they need to start paying? Nah, they're just raising prices. You're looking for a silver lining in the where well, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> is it weird that but is it weird that like pretty much all of them have been really raising their prices around the same time? Not really, because um in case you don't know, what's on at the moment is uh uh highly unaffordable housing prices and impossible prices for food and such things. So um, what everyone's decided to do is completely fuck everyone by raising the price of uh, things that make people happy. Sounds about right. It sounds like living in the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, on today's episode, we're talking about what's here, what's the street going over some film news, giving some thumbs to trailers and giving you this week's top three uh, we'll kick things off. Dylan, you've finished watching the first part of Invincible Season 2. Uh, you've mm. got a review up on explosion.com. You gave it a 7 out of 10. Do you want to give us your final overall thoughts of this first part of Invincible Season 2? Yeah. So what's out? One episode, right? I think. One I episode. I watched yeah. it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's it's sort of weird. I feel like the, the like this whole season split thing, um, the first part definitely feels like a um uh, a slower build-up to to what will be the second part especially especially once you get to the the cliffhanger that um is in the fourth episode sort of thing yeah. um there's lots of cool stuff along the way but definitely don't feel like as a, a season or i know it's hard because this is a problem with these part one part two things but like just as a four episode thing it, de- it definitely didn't feel anywhere near as strong as the first four episodes of the the first season, um, a little bit, just a little bit more disjointed, you know, along along the way, um, and it's just got all sorts of you got, you got dealing with hey, my dad killed everyone, that sucks. You've got his mum dealing with hey, my husband killed everyone, that sucks. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then um, amongst that, they try and do some other character stories, but I just don't feel like they have enough time to really get anywhere um like um i'm forgetting her name what's the 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 girl superhero got that like adam eve adam like she they try and do like a thing with her uh of like her trying to deal with the the way the world's changing and everything but again it just feels like it, it didn't quite get enough time and it was also like i'm pretty sure that was like like I, I only read what happened in that that spin-off thing. I didn't actually watch or play the the whatever that interactive thing was. But like reading what that happened in that, I'm like, what's it like? I feel like this sort of character beat was covered in that, so I don't know why it's in this season. You know, like some elements like that. Um, yeah, so it's still good, still invincible. I definitely feel like part two is going to be where the the juicy shit is, though. Well, I've watched the first episode. I enjoyed it. You know, it, it's cool. You know that he came back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it seems like it's probably going to be a slow, 
burned. Although at the start of the the first episode, you've got a bunch of multiversal uh, dudes from a bunch of multiple universes who try to merge into one person. So, I mean, there's some pretty big ideas. A lot of the multiverse stuff's like teased out throughout the first half. And again, it's just one of those things that doesn't, I'm sort of glad they don't like fully commit to just like, let's just make everything a full multiverse story, but definitely it's not like the main story of this first Mm. part. It's just constantly like teased out as a thing. Again, that's probably for part two. So, it definitely, like, not having watched it, it feels like they went, shit, we said there was going to be Invincible late 2023. We better put some of it out. Yeah. When they could have just waited until they were finished, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, it's cool that we've got Invincible back. It's exciting. Really good animation. So, yeah. Uh, exciting. Uh, so... I was back at Biff this week, the final week of the Brisbane International Film Festival, and I was able to see Saltburn, the latest film from Emerald Fennell, who obviously directed Promising Young Woman. Uh, she's directed a film called uh, starring uh, Barry Keoghan, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant, Alison Oliver, and Archie Medequay. Uh Follows a young university student, Oliver Quick, who comes from like a... Um, you know, middle-class family who goes to Oxford, uh, where he is drawn to the acristocratic, very popular, charming uh, Felix Kenton, who uh, comes from a very uh, you know, rich family. They own a massive estate called Saltburn. They become friends, um, and Felix invites Oliver to spend the summer break with him at Saltburn. Uh, living with his family, um, and yeah, it's a it's a story of how he he Oliver slowly becomes uh, entranced by the lifestyle of the people living at Zalburn and wants to uh, stay a part of it. You know, um, yeah, uh, it, it it it's a tough one to talk about because there's like there's a you don't want to like spoil a bunch of stuff. It's like hard to talk about a lot of it without spoiling it. Um, it's a really fantastic drama um, with a lot of like really dark comedic bits. There is some weird sex stuff in this that is in a, in a year where I talked, well, in a week in which I talked about poor things last week and they were doing crazy sex stuff. This, this like takes ratchets up to another level. Um, in my opinion, this movie and poor things are like yin and yang. It's like, kind of weirdly crazy um yeah fantastic performance by barry yogan jacob Elordi is really fantastic like he could have come off as like um a dick giving his rich status and that kind of stuff but he's super likable the most interesting character to me is um the well there's the uh or the most interesting performance is archie madikwe who plays like uh the cousin who uh is taken in by the family at Saltburn. Um he's the kid who was in Gran Turismo. It's like such a vast twist, a uh, completely different uh role in this, which is uh wild. Um but yeah, it is beautiful beautifully shot, looks fantastic. Like obviously they found like some crazy uh mansion or castle almost esque place to go shoot all this um 
but yeah, it, once the film starts to ratchet up, it's like really riveting to watch. And there is like some weird stuff happening. There is some crazy gross out stuff. Um, that like see this movie with an audience is w- my recommendation. Like to hear the audience reactions to certain things that the characters decides to do or is drawn to do. It's like, yeah, much watch this year. Um, whether I think it's best picture nominee, I think so. <laughs> it's like, but again, it's like super weird. And like, there is, yeah, I don't know if it's going to connect with the larger amount of the Academy, but, um, yeah, top end, check it out. I believe it is coming out next week from memory, uh, 15th, 16th of November. Uh, so hopefully Dylan, you'll be able to watch it. Um, yeah, I think it's actually playing at the Indie Theater. Oh, thank so. God. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I believe I looked into this over there. It should, it should, obviously, it's getting a, it's a Warner Brothers release. Yeah, you, got you, know. Yeah, you gotta take Taylor Swift out, man. You know, you know, you know. That's true. You, that's, you, you that's got difficult. three, you got four out of five of the cinemas in, a, in, in my village playing fucking Taylor Swift. Right? That's true. Um, uh, yeah. Um... I also saw Shortcomings. So this is the first film directed by Randall Park. It's based on a, uh, a comic of the same name uh, by Adrian Tomine, who also writes the screenplay for this, uh, starring Justin H. Min, Sherry Cola, Ali Mackie. Uh, Justin H. Min plays Ben, who is a uh, uni dropout, uh, aspiring filmmaker who, you know, did the filmmakery thing of like, trying to make his own film, putting it all on credit card. And then, you know, it was shit. So he's stuck with a bunch of credit card debt. Now he kind of just works at a uh, failing movie theater. Um, yeah. The movie opens with a crazy uh, kind of like uh, crazy rich Asians knockoff, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. And everybody in the Asian field film theater audience uh, is love the film, but just age Ben Ben doesn't care for it. It's like right from the jump. It's like, this is a very anti a, re, crazy rich agents movie. And you can tell it's crazy rich agents because of the way they talk about it. It's like, it's definitely an analog for that movie. Um, so yeah, he is a dick. He's just kind of uh, negative and pessimistic and a hypocrite and uh, generally dislikable. So it's kind of interesting that he's the lead of this movie. Um, his girlfriend decides that she's going to take a three month internship in New York. So they're going to take like a, a break um so it's kind of dealing with that time period uh and how he tries to fill the time um dealing with different relationships and like is are they together or are they not and like dealing with his own loneliness and like um his friendship with uh sherry cola's character who's a lesbian and like she uh doesn't want to tell her parents she's a lesbian because they're, they're completely disowner and everything so um it's all got all these interesting elements um, it doesn't all quite tie together in a nice, neat little bow. I don't think there's a... I wouldn't call the ending conclusion satisfying. It's like kind of... I guess it's re- resolved, I guess. Um, there isn't a lot of growth. Um, but it's very funny at moments. Um, very solid and there's some fun cameos and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I... I had high hopes they didn't quite meet that, but uh, I thought, you know, it's an enjoyable enough 
Asian-led comedy. So, <laughs> uh, Shortcomings, I don't believe, has any Australian release date. So, um, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> uh, Dylan, you wa- watched Haunted Mansion, which just re- released recently on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I did indeed. <laughs> did yeah. indeed watch Haunted Mansion. Have we seen this movie? Yeah. Fuck. What a snooze fest, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't... Like, I feel like it's... And this happens quite often when you watch these, like, you know, big... You know, big it's big company movies. Is you you want to buy Disney or something. There's these big movies. They're like these big... The trailers are usually pretty good and everything like that. Um, and like, there's, it's just so many things you're like, Lakeith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, uh, Tiffany Haddish. It's like, fuck, that sounds awesome. Um, uh, Justin Simeon, I really like, uh, fucking, um, dear white people, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like all these things. And then you watch it and you're like, how the fuck did all these people make a movie that just seems like it's being made by AI? I don't know. Like, it's just so... Mm. like i just don't know what the i don't know it's so weird it's just it seems like void of like a an actual direction outside of just the one summary the 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 short paragraph explanation of what the haunted mansion ride is and like the characters within it and then it's like just make it up as you go along and then they just chucked all these people together and just said film this in like seven days and Let's make the most of it, sort of thing. I don't, it just felt so, like just out of waste of everyone involved. And I can't even blame anyone. And I don't even know where. To look, I feel like it's it's the the script and director's fault, but I can't blame the actors. But like, yeah, I just I just felt like it was completely like not at all unique or interesting at all. So, yeah, I don't know who this movie's for. Like, it's just. I think that was my biggest problem with the movie. It's like, who is this actually for? It's like, yeah. Not scary enough to be like a horror movie, but it's not kid friendly enough or aimed at kids enough to be a kids movie. Yeah, I'm like, movie. I just don't know. I don't know who this is for. I have no idea who this movie is for. Is it just for people who love the ride and like they get to see like, oh yeah, that thing or that person or maybe there's Easter eggs in the background and like, is that is that I'm it? Sure cool. <laughs> yeah, like cool. But otherwise, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I did. I did see a lot of articles going up in the last week. People, well, not a lot. I saw a couple of people do articles like, "Here's the the movies to help get your kids into horror movies." Like people, like people were writing, which I found I, I'd never movies, seen before. Yeah. Like, like here are the yeah for Halloween. Here are here are some good like horror movies that you can show your kids. And they they weren't like fucking like fucked up joke articles. Like showing them Friday Thirteenth. They were they were like good examples of like you know a lot of it was animated stuff, which I guess is the thing because I feel like animated they can get away more with like pushing yeah. what is scary, but also, but I, I just, I, I found a really interesting thing of like, like this movie's not scary, but it should be. And I don't see why if you're trying to make a kids scary movie, it can't be scary. Like, I, I don't know at what stage in the world we said you can't scare kids. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying like scar them for life by showing them fucked up shit, but there is, in my opinion, there's absolutely nothing wrong with like 
if it's age appropriate content and it's just gonna it's gonna like a, a, a fucking let's just fall back on the basics like some jump scares and shit like that you know what i mean like what's hmm. like it's, it's still a horror movie like you can make age appropriate is it a horror movie for kids or is it just well, a no, movie no, it's with a horror, supernatural it's, elements no but it's, it's a scary movie it's not a horror movie but it's it's supposed to be it should be a scary movie but maybe that's the problem they just Again, well, it's like we want to make this family movie, and we don't want to make it scary. But we also want to have all these. Super but that's pointless because it, it should be a scary movie. Because I, I don't understand. Like if you if you go on a if you go on a ride that scares you, and then you make a movie, and it doesn't scare you, then what the fucking? Oh, we can't scare kids anymore. Oh, you can scare kids. You're allowed to scare kids. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm standing on this. You can scare kids. I mean, I'm on board. I'm on board with, you know, <laughs> stop, you know, wrapping your kids up in bubble wrap, you know, <laughs> let them fall down, let them be scared, like let them if be, you, if you, let if them you be emotionally a- <laughs> traumatized by killing you your favorite as characters. A pa- if you as a parent want to be like, I don't want to let my, I, I, I don't think my kid is uh, developed enough to like watch anything that's scary. That's fine. But like, I remember, like, I, I just, I like... I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, scary movies should be scary, and the you can make age appropriate scary movies, and this is just boring. So, what would you say is an age appropriate scary movie? Um, I'll tell you what. I'll come back to it. Let me, let me have a. a uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, and I can't. And you're gonna sit here for fucking five minutes. So hold on. <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to find the actor and then go backwards. Well, I mean, like the animated one. So, like, um, but you could just go like, uh, like Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, still, like I know that freaks kids out sometimes with some of the sequences and oogie boogie and stuff like that, right? Corpse. What's the difference between freaking out and scaring? Nothing. Oh, well, I guess scary, scare, a scare is like a jump scare, right? You know, like a oh, you know, like one of that, like that sort of reaction. And freaking out is just that. You know, like the the feeling of looking at a character or a, or a sequence and it's just off putting. You know, I feel like that would be the, 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 the separation. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot, a lot of those animated ones, uh, what else? Like Coraline. Yeah. Um, Corpse Bride. What's the one I'm thinking of though? It's from like 2005. It's animated though. Monster House. That was mm. the last, the last one I watched where I was like, this is a really like good family friendly, uh, scary movie i feel like that's a l- legit the last one i watch from re- re- recent memory um what else would there be um i mean even back like i feel like the even the uh the original adams family movies right if you compare those to wednesday mm-hmm. not at all like the original adams family movies not scary but some sequences that were freaky i guess yes. um trying to fucking think now um, i definitely feel like as a, as a kid gremlins yeah right going back to like stuff like that so gremlins um what the fuck else freaked me out as a kid labyrinth 
Mm. Not not a, not a, not meant to be like a horror scary movie, but like just that that feeling of off puttingness because of some of the creature designs and stuff like that. Um, that would definitely fall into the same thing. I I never watched it, but I don't know. So I can't say if it's actually good or not. But I remember, obviously, we talked about the the house with clock and with walls in it. Yep. I remember watching the trailer for that and thinking that was probably that actually looked like it was trying to be actually a, a scary but kids movie, um, family kids movie and stuff like that. Um, the Scooby Doo movies were actually pretty good for family kid friendly but still had some jump scares and spooks and stuff in it yeah so i don't know like i i definitely could think about it more but yeah i I feel like there's nothing from recent memory like Coraline. was that yeah it's Coraline would actually be the most recent one because that was out after monster house so Coraline's probably the most recent one i could think of where i know that like, I remember seeing articles by parents being like, don't show this, kids. <laughs> don't show this to your kids. You'll fucking scare them for eyes. People have buttons for eyes. <laughs> you know, so. I, I mean, know. if parents are asking you not to let your kids watch it, then it must be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people say Spirited Away is too scary for kids, some sequences. But again, that, like, I'm not telling you how to, like, parent your child. Like, it's up to you to choose your things. But I just I just feel like they don't... Like, I, just, I just don't feel like people are making movies to give people the, the choice. Um, little Shop of Horrors? Mm. Uh, fucking plant-eating people? I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just feel like filmmakers are going for the aesthetic of horror movies for kids but not necessarily the content of horror movies for kids yeah so all right let's move into the mandatory netflix segment of the show uh and i've watched the first two episodes of blue-eyed samurai uh the new animated series on netflix uh so it is created by michael green and amber nozumi uh a husband and wife team michael green best known for uh, writing uh, Logan, Alien Covenant, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and all the uh, <laughs> all the new uh, Hercule Poirot movies. Um, so this is a bit of a weird, <laughs> weird thing for him to be doing, I guess. Um, yeah, follows a uh, young woman who uh, is of mixed race origin. So set during the seventeenth century in Japan where being mixed race or part white uh, is frowned upon or deemed uh, a deformation or like uh, a sign of shame. Um, she grows up uh, with a blind sword maker who never, who doesn't learn that she's blue eyed until much later in life. And she learns to like craft swords and like um, practice sword fighting from watching uh, all the the samurai who come through the workshop wanting to get swords and that kind of stuff and kind of watching and then practicing on her own. Um, she has her own mission in which she wants to find the four white people who were in uh, Japan at the time of her birth so she can murder them all uh, to exact her revenge for her own creation. Um, yeah, it, it's beautifully animated, um, crazy action, like some of the bit like you know samurai stuff has kind of like come back into vogue in the last few years um this is some of like the best looking animation like samurai stuff i've seen at least recently um yeah mizu is like very quiet and like she's voiced by my erskine 
who you wouldn't pick for a stoic kind of character uh, based on like all her comedic work uh, and being quite loud and that kind of stuff. So it's like a very interesting, like against type performance. Um, Marcy Oka, who people would remember from Heroes, he plays uh, Ringo, a disabled cook who she meets at the start of the the, the show um, who doesn't have hands. He's got two stumps, unfortunately. Uh, but somehow how manages to be like a really good cook and like uh he he's desperately trying to be her apprentice uh following her from town to town and like uh even though she wants to be very stoic and alone and doesn't want she doesn't want happiness doesn't want friendship she just wants revenge um and yeah in the first episode like she fights her way through this massive dojo of all these uh sword fighters and students like who've been practicing for years and like uh just to ask the main the main head of the dojo like where somebody else is it's like she beats the shit out of a bunch of people it's crazy some of the violence of this is bizarre like there's teeth flying all over the place there's there's one moment where she knocks out somebody's teeth and then she baseball bats the teeth and one of the teeth ends up in someone's eye it's like it's yeah it's it's beautiful incredibly well shot it's like it is m-rated let me tell you that there's like they've animated some nudity and that kind of stuff like um and it is incredibly incredibly violent um who's george takai play george takai plays it says he plays Sek- sekai or something oh, no, I, just him in- I don't think i've met that character has been introduced yet okay oh no he plays uh so princess akemi uh is a princess or like she's the daughter of a uh rich lord she's you know in classic japanese uh storytelling you know the any daughters of a lord needs to marry to become you know the husband of a so they can you know get more political power so the the lord is trying to marry her off to like the son of the shogun she doesn't want to get married to a son of the shogun she wants to get married to this other uh samurai who comes from nothing but is really uh talented and really strong who fights the mizu the the blue eyes samurai in the first episode and loses to her and now is on a quest to get his uh, honor back by fighting her himself so uh it's a fun interconnected world as well two episodes in really enjoying it uh there's some fun flashbacks to her time like the the obviously you tell the story of the present day and then they do flashbacks to her time with the sword what who she calls the sword father who raised her uh, and her like the forging swords and that kind of stuff again animation off the charts it's fantastic like up there with the best of anime um definitely worth checking out even if you don't have netflix they released the first episode on uh youtube um so check it out all the episodes and they're like full length episodes like 49 minute hour long episodes so i would highly recommend checking that out it, it's definitely something i want to finish before the end of the year uh and then i also watched uh one four against all odds so this is the new documentary about the uh australian hip-hop slash drill rap group one four um so they're a bunch of uh pacifica Islander kids who grew up in uh western sydney more specifically the mount druitt suburb <laughs> Uh, and there is a reasonably well-known, uh, gang warfare or gang culture in Western Sydney where like, uh, based around a lot of postcodes and that kind of stuff, like is protecting that, that like dates back, like 
a couple of generations of that kind of stuff. So a lot of people from Western Sydney are very, or like from Mount Druid at least, um, are very against a lot of the people in Parramatta or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but there, but there is like a gang kind of culture there. Um, so these uh, these kids like grow up in that culture, like obviously were part of that. Um, but then they also got into making music through like a street. It's called Street Uni, which is like a youth center, I guess, that had like a recording studio. So they started recording songs uh, inspired by the uh, drill rap uh, music coming out of uh, London, but also that was generated somewhere in the US, which is a very much a type of music that doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily about skilled lyrics and that kind of stuff, but very hard lyrics or like very talking about um, a lot of, uh, explicit or warfare kind of uh, in, like language and that kind of stuff are talking about. So they talk about their fights with the other the gangs and go kind of stuff and bring that kind of stuff up. Um, so they quickly, weirdly become like a viral hit. One of their songs gets millions of views in the first few days. Um, they gain interest from a bunch of international artists uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, but because of their links to uh, the gangs in Western Sydney, the New South Wales police have pretty much shut down anything they try to do. Like they try to hold shows in Sydney and they just shut it down. So like they pretty much like strong arm the, the uh, venues into being like, Hey, th- there's a chance that like, there could be like a conflict in here. If they show up, maybe you should not hold the show because it'd be more expensive and that kind of stuff. And like, they tried to do like a Toro to like, they tried to send a couple of members to New Zealand to hold a show. And they're like, rang the New Zealand police and informed them about their, their back history and that kind of stuff. It's like, um, yeah, they kind of get a, a group that's kind of been tied down by the police or like specifically targeted, like even to the extent where like they're after the, like they have like six months later after the end of the documentary and they're still being like harassed by police and they tell they can't perform and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Really interesting documentary. Like, does not and they interview the police in this mm. and they just they just don't come off in a good light at all they just come off as like a bunch of dicks so, i mean it's obviously obviously the the bands in the name of the documentary it's always they're going to be shown in a more positive light um not that they're angels by any extent like they definitely there is definitely footage of them like beating the shit out of a white dude who was like being racist to them and that, that kind of stuff um but you know they did that so you know um but yeah really interesting uh the other main draw uh the kid Leroy shows up uh who's a proponent for them uh to the extent where he's like <laughs> during his last uh, Australian tour there were because all their shows were getting shut down like their big uh big highlight is like oh they they can't do their own shows if they're announced so uh, and I wanted them to be part of the show, so uh, but we wouldn't be able to run it if they were announced as part of the show. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just sneak him in <laughs> as part of the show and that kind of stuff. So I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, uh, the music isn't necessarily for me, but like there's a bunch of like um, Australian culture journalists talking about the importance of uh, their music and how that what impact they've had on the scene and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, all that's really interesting. So uh i definitely worth checking out uh one for against all odds on netflix uh but yeah i didn't know who they were before and let me show you i saw uh an ad on i think it stands holding the 
arias this year and they're like yeah. here are all the performers who are going to be part of the show i don't know who any of these people are <laughs> 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 like i'm my old it's like yeah. i'll tell you what crazy all right that's everything i watched the street let's move into some film news uh and there's a big variety article call that dropped this week uh that kind of threw the internet into disarray uh right uh, titled is marvel in trouble Biz- disney's biggest hitmaker will need to flex his muscles to overcome superior fatigue and the marvels won't be the answer uh so reading from the article uh this past september a group of marvel creatives including studio chief kevin fire assembled in palm springs for the studio's annual retreat most years the vibe has been confident even cocky given how the premier superhero brand owned by disney since 2009 has remade the entertainment business in its image but this occasion was angst-ridden. Everyone at Marvel was reading, reeling from a series of disappointments on screen and the legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars and questions about the viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond movies into streaming. Uh, of course, the most pressing issue is discussed at the treat was about what to do about Jonathan Majors, the actor who has been poised to carry the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but is instead headed to a high-profile trial in New York later this year on a domestic violence charge. The actor insists he is the victim, but is the damage to his reputation the chance he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to send the, unit, the next phase of its interlocking slate of sequels, spin-offs, and series around Majors' villainous character, Kane the Conqueror. As the gathering in Palm Screens, executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting to another comic book adversary like Doctor Doom, but making any shift which would carry its own headaches. Majors was already a big presence in the MCU, including a scene-stealing antagonist in February's Ant-Man and the Wasp of Quantumania. He is also positioned as the franchise's next big thing in the season of Loki, particularly in the finale, which airs on November 9th, and sets up Kang as the titular star of the fifth Avengers movie in 2026. Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang angle, says one top dealmaker who has seen the final episode of Loki episode, and they haven't had the opportunity to rewrite until very recently because of the WGA strike, but I don't see a path to how they move forward with him. Uh, yeah, Dylan, let's start there. Obviously, we know Jonathan Major's involvement in the MCU has been a problem for a while. Is just pivoting Doctor Doom the answer, or are they? what do they do? Let's help. Like, Let's give them some solutions. I think if you're, uh, if Loki's going to end this week with with him still being set up as a major player, um, major the major threat within this current run in the MCU, you just recast him. Yeah, I think I think that's the only sensible thing to do. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know why you need to pivot your entire plans. Like you just recast him. It's fine. We've had recast actors in the MCU before. People move on. It's fine. I mean, not on this scale, though. This not would this be scale, the most profile. Um, like, I don't, I don't feel like I don't feel like he's like like he's been in one movie and one TV show. That's true. People don't love him enough that to care. I don't think. Yeah, I, I that is definitely the move that makes sense. Makes the most sense. Um, what do you think of the people who are like? Oh, do you need? He needs to be uh, found guilty before he's like, we do anything. It's too. It's like it's damage control. Like they can't take their risk at this point. Most companies do. Whenever in recent 
times when uh, any major accusation is made. Like, no, it's dumb. That's a dumb thing to say. If someone's accused, if someone's accused of something, and a company a company chooses to ignore it until the trial um, and continue with them, that's dumb. Uh, what they do is they usually hire their own third party company to investigate and to tell them, in their opinion, their third party opinion, is there enough here that we should be worried about? And based upon them pulling movies and stuff, I believe they've been told, yes, you should probably be worried yeah i mean the fact that all his talent his agents left him the fact yep. that there were so many other people who came out about his reactions on set and they're coming out in the wake of these allegations coming out um yeah it's also Either- this the, i mean just to add on one other thing quickly it's the 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 idea that also that if someone's found guilty that's it and if they're found not guilty that's it like it's just like there's a very yin yang <laughs> you know like black and white the, black and white way of thinking like he could ultimately you know the world works in mysterious ways at times and people with power and money and these sorts of things are able to get their way out of crimes of which they may or may not have been committed if they were just normal judge Mo. so to to rely on the court system to find someone guilty to choose whether or not that person may or may not have done something is is not always a good line of thinking, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, his reputation is so damaged at this point. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine them investing another, what would probably have to be $300 million movie on his back. So, recasts, um, there is a bunch of actors who could easily do that job. So, um. But yeah, that's only the tip of the iceberg according to this variety art. Well, well, that is a major part of the iceberg, but uh, a big part. Uh, beyond the bad, bad press from ages, the Mar- Brain Trust at Marvel is also grappling with the November release of The Marvels, a sequel to 2019's blockbuster Captain Marvel that has been plagued with lengthy reshoots and now appears to be likely to underwhelm with the box office. This is all an unprecedented unprecedented turn of fortune for a company that's enjoyed a nearly uninterrupted string of hits ever since it started independently producing its movies in 2008 with 2008's iron man that wildly profitable run culminated in the 2.1 2.8 billion dollar success of avengers endgame a high watermark for the studio that has earned nearly 30 billion dollars over 32 films replicating that phenomenon was never easy however the source of marvel's Current troubles can be traced back to 2020. That's when the COVID pandemic ushered in a mandate to help boost uh, Disney's stock price with an endless torrent of interconnected Marvel content for the studio's fledging streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. According to the plan, there would have been, never been a lapse in superhero fare with either a film in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. Uh, but the ensuing tsunami of spandex proved to be too much of a good thing and the demands of churning out as mu- so much content uh, tax the Marvel apparatus. Moreover, they need to tease out an interwoven storyline over so many disparate shows, movies, and platforms, created a muddled narrative that baffled viewers. The Marvel machine was pumping out a lot of content to get to the point where there was too much and they were burning people out. It's possible, says Wall Street analyst Eric Handler, who covers Disney. The more you do, the tougher it is to maintain quality. They tried experimenting with breaking in some new characters like Shang-Chi and Eternals with mixed results. Which budgets as big as these, you need home runs. Uh, let's talk about that then. Like, obviously, we've discussed multiple times that Marvel uh, has been the pumping out of Marvel content has been a massive problem. Like, uh, 
the need to have at least three movies every single year um, has been an issue. <laughs> the, maybe the main problem, like there used to be a time when, you know, they would have a proper script and like uh, there would be a purpose or like there would be a vision for each film. And now it's like content for content's sake. Yeah. It's just the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I don't definitely don't feel like I'm on the the high end of feeling positive about Marvel in recent years. And the the, the I understand that some movies will be better than others, or, or at least I would personally like some movies better than others. But in general, I don't remember the last time I was really like enjoyed a Marvel movie. And the constant TV series drop just seems like a never ending release of stuff that yeah just you're like you watch it because you feel obligated to especially when you have a podcast called on your mouthcast yeah <laughs> um, but outside of that there's yeah it just it really feels like they've they've shot themselves in the foot by trying to do way too much for no reason other than to consistently people have people thinking dreaming about and living marvel some way yeah. All right. Uh, the Marvels, which opens the theaters November 10th uh, in America, November 9th, yeah. uh, will struggle to get the ball past the infield, at least by Marvel's outside, outside standards. The movie, which costs $250 million and sees Brie Larson reprising her role as Captain Marvel, is tracking to open to $75 to $80 million, far below the $185 million uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness took in domestically in its debut weekend last year. Directed by Nia DaCosta, the Marvels unites Larson's hero with two superhero, superpowered allies, Tiona Harris, uh, Tiona Paris's Monica Rambeau, and Iman Villani's Kamala Khan. Uh, but instead of seamlessly building on the success of Captain Marvel, this movie results in four weeks of reshoots to bring coherence to a tangled storyline. Then eyebrows were raised again when DaCosta began working on another film while the Marvels were still in post-production. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa Thompson drama, Header. Uh, if you're directing a $250 million movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months to go, says a source for me with the production. Uh, so this is a point that's been brought up multiple times online uh, in which uh, director Nida Costa, I think, has uh, clarified on today. Where she as said, of this morning. Be- yeah, as of this morning. Because, uh, because of all the delays, uh, it cut into... Yeah, so she said it was originally two hours, two years that she signed on for in total for the movie. So mm-hmm. two years from pre to post, like full two yes. years. Um, and then it got to three and a half years and she kept postponing her next project that she'd already signed on to and got the whoever the, to agree to let her push that, push that. And it got to a stage where she was like, I can no longer keep pushing this. It's been three and a half years now. I've just got to go like do like She was contractually obligated to... Yes. start work on that film yes um and from what i understand you know uh well, most of the post-production is like what is the director going to do it's like and once the the film is kind of cut off it's like they're just doing special effects until the the movie yeah comes and out some reshoots and whatever which again people always do these articles for clickbait of Oh no, the movie's doing reshoots. It's in trouble. I'm like, like every fucking big budget blockbuster does reshoots nowadays. It's just yeah. 
Um, and as a lot of people have also pointed out, a bunch of people also start work on the next movie while there are other ones in post-production. Yeah. Uh, like, obviously the big names like Spielberg and that kind of stuff are brought up, but I'm pretty sure Taika Waititi was working on his next film when uh, Love and Thunder was in post-production based on his, uh, the, the what notes on a scene thing that he did, where he's like, what do you think of this special effect? Does that look good? Mm. It's like, I'm pretty sure he was seeing that for the first time. <laughs> uh, and that kind of stuff. So I don't think this is very common uh, and probably like is a thing that's blown out of proportion uh, in that regards. Uh, but uh, still on the Marvels, the Marvels has seen its release date moved back twice, once to swap with Quantumania, which was deemed further along. Uh, and again, when its debut was shifted from July to November to give the filmmakers more time to tinker, but that extra time didn't necessarily help. In June, Marvel, which particularly, traditionally only solicits feedback from Disney employees and their fa- friends and family, took the uncharacteristic, the uncharacteristic step of holding a public test screening in Texas. The audience gave the middle, film middling reviews. Uh, I don't know if Texas is the best <laughs> case, but audience. Robert, what do you think about this uh, movie that stars three women, one white, and then two of color? <laughs> 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 what do you Texans think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What are your expectations of the Marvels? Weird. Um. No. Yes, yeah, so I'm keen for it. I, I, I hope it's good. Like, obviously, I like Nia Costa. Um. You know, really big fan of her, um, the work that she did with. I can't even do it. <laughs> really, big fan, <laughs> really big fan of the work she did on John Peel's Candyman. Um, yep. And then uh, I had to get there, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I'm mostly keen for Kamala Khan, Aman Bellani. Um, she's like the best thing that's happened, at least my favorite thing that's happened in like the last, what, two years of Marvel. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Miss Marvel as a TV series was like fine. Like I, I just like like story wise or whatever. I was like it's fine. But her, um, she was absolutely fantastic. So, um, and I like Brie Larson. I like I like Carol Danvers. I didn't think the Miss the Captain Marvel movie was great. I thought it was like again fine. But it's just like all the people, um, Tiana Paris, like Monica Rambo, Rambo. Um, like like I wouldn't say I'm like super excited for, but yeah, keen to see where that character could yep. go um yeah so I, I i'm keen i hope it's good like if it's good it's great um if it's a disappointment it'll just continue a long lineage of marvel movies being disappointing recently yeah. most exciting thing is also it's under two hours so yes <laughs> <laughs> how good's that <laughs> i know i feel like this is just a replicate like the the negativity around the project is also like a replication of the negativity around the first captain marvel when everybody was kind of just kind of turned on Brie Larson for a lot of the comments she was making and that kind of stuff, um, which were reasonable, but like we're not. Yeah, he's, men, I, mean, I guess and you still get my... all the, you still get all these people like, oh, I just really hate how that movie had an agenda. I'm like, what? Because it had that one scene where she like beats like up the, a dude and she like, beats up like a dude. Like, like <laughs> it's like I'm I like yeah, I get that. The, like it's a bit of a like it's a corny scene, sure, but <laughs> like if you're letting that affect your whole view of the movie i know i think that says more about you than the movie yeah. uh yeah so continuing on from the article fahi isn't the only person showing shines of train marvel's entire vfx battalion including staffers and vendors is struggling to keep pace with their never-ending stream of productions 
This past February, when the credits rolled on at the world premiere of Quantum Mania, shock rippled through the Regency Village Theatre in Westwood over some shoddy CGI. There were at least 10 scenes where the visual effects had been added at the last minute, and they were out of focus, said one veteran power broker who was there. It was insane. It was never seen something like that in my entire career. Everyone was talking about it. Even the kids of executives were talking about it. Uh, the schedule swap <laughs> with the Marvels had left the Ant-Man sequel in a squeeze, pushing up its post-production schedule by four and a half months. Marvel films are known for coming down to the wire, given by his ability to foam the runway and land a plane that way, says one executive familiar with how the company operates. But this level of unfinished was unprecedented and was noted in scaling reviews when the tentpole with a $200 million budget opened 11 days after the premiere. Critics weren't the only ones left dismayed. Fed up with 14-hour days and no overtime, Marvel VFX workers voted unanimously to unionize September, bucking an industry-wide trend. Uh, the year 2023 was a straw that broke the camel's back, says former Marvel Studios VFX assistant coordinator Anna George, who appeared before the Congressional Labor Caucus on October 19th to testify about the studio's untenable deadlines and working conditions. The pay and long hours at Marvel were the reason we had to start our unionization process there. The conditions were completely unsustainable. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. No this has been a this has been a well known thing since what like I remember the, the most prominent article about the the special effects issues at Marvel coming out probably around the first Black Panther time, um, like uh, with the rush to finish that last sequence and people pointing out that the the final sequence that movie had a lot of issues and then the the people were like yeah it's because we had like rush it out you know we didn't have time <laughs> like so uh, yeah this has been a known thing for a while and uh, just a, another problem of this machine of fucking never-ending content yeah uh this article also says one month after quantum pioneer's premiere debacle the guillotine film fell on victoria alonso who oversaw the studio's physical production post-production vfx and animation while the season cited for her abrupt firing was her unauthorized role as an executive producer on the oscar-nominated film Argentina 1985, insiders say Disney was incensed that the quality control on its Marvel productions was plummeting, particularly on the ever-expanding TV front. The VFX logjam had been evident for some time, with some final effects for the Disney Plus series as Bonavision and She-Hulk's attorney at law inserted after their streaming debuts. That Alonso was busy promoting her art house project while Rome would burn certainly didn't sit well with Disney's leadership. Uh, but some internal sources suggest Alonso was a scapegoat and pointed to these She-Hulk VFX issues as a sim- symptom of the deeper rot, namely a lack of oversight on script development. In the original arc of She-Hulk, a flashback of star Tatiana Maslany's transformation to a Hulk character didn't play- take place until episode 8, the penultimate episode. But after Marvel's Blaine Trust watched footage, it realized the scene needed to happen in the pilot episode so that audiences could see more of the character's backstory early. That meant the VFX team was tasked with fixing the mess in post-production. The so-called bad VFX we see was also because of halfback scripts, says one insider involved with She-Hulk. That is not Victoria, that is Kevin, and even above Kevin, those issues should be addressed in pre-production. The timeline is not allowing the market Marvel executives to sit with the material. You know what would fix this? Um, I reckon you get a bunch of people who are working on it and like writing the scripts. You get them to sit in a room, right? And they have a whiteboard behind them. And they sort of like plot out a basic summary and the direction and the beats of the the show and the episodes. And we could call these rooms with writers. And I think they yeah. could I think they could figure it out ahead of the time of shooting and everything. That would be a good idea. Yeah, well, like don't make something till it's actually good. 
Do that's it's okay. Also, yeah, like don't put out shit. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, again, it just seems like a, another symptom of the process of like churning out content. Like we need to put stuff out as soon as possible. Just write a thing. Like the other thing that's not in this article that came out this week was in Moon Knight. There's a shot with the mirrors and how that took 10 months to fix up because they shot it with actual mirrors. And like they, they spent 10 months editing out the cameraman from the shot of the mirrors. It's like all these people blow. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't, why didn't they just shoot through two transparent mirrors? And like, then you could have gotten the same effect. Why couldn't you just do green screens of the two mirrors on either side? Like that would have, you know, that would have been easier than actually just editing out a cameraman into a reflection millions of times. It's like, just dumb decisions being made that result in uh, special effects people doing need to doing un- unnecessarily extra work. So uh, again, a massive problem. Uh, still continuing on. <laughs> uh, as pu- public criticism mounts, Fahey is pulling scripts on script is pulling the plug on scripts and projects that aren't working. Case in point, the Blade reboot. With Mahersha Ali signed on as the eponymous role of Vampire, things look promising for a 2023 release date, but the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shut down six weeks before production. One person familiar with the script permutations says that the story at one point morphed to a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead, a bizarre idea considering that the studio had two-time Oscar winner Ali on board. Uh, this is a point that's been disputed by one of the filmmakers who was uh, one of the screenwriters who was involved, but uh, still, he's been however many years and there's still no script. Uh, amid report, Ali uh, was ready to exit over script issues. Fahey went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar nominated writer of Logan, to start a new speculation around town is the studios looking to make the movie. Uh, now slated for 2025 on a budget of less than $100 million, a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. Uh, yeah. It, it seems crazy because Blade seems like it should be a simple thing to execute. He's a vampire hunter. He hunts vampires. I'll just point out something. The creator was made for $80 million. <laughs> And for any of its faults, it's a good looking movie. It's a fantastic looking movie with a fuck ton of special effects. So, I just don't... This continued, like... Oh, it could only be made for $100 million. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, seems like plenty to me, dude. <laughs> seems like enough money to me, yeah. Uh, Alright. With Iger publicly acknowledging the downside of a Marvel TV glut, the diluted focus and attention, the keepers of the comic book empire are considering some drastic moves. Sources say there have been talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, both of whom were killed off in Endgame. Spoilers. Uh, that shouldn't be a stumbling block in comic books. Uh, beloved characters are often killed off, only to be re- resurrected thanks to the power of things like the multiverse. But the studio hasn't yet committed to the idea. If they were able to bring those actors back, it wouldn't come cheap. So also say Robert Downey Jr.'s upfront salary for Iron Man 3 was around $25 million. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? <laughs> I feel, <laughs> or um, just a idea? Not sh- that doesn't shock me at all. I figured 
I'm on the line. I'm I'm on the similar line of thinking that I think uh, that I've seen a few of people reiterate, which is that they're probably already going to do this with Secret Wars as like the end goal. Yep. Um. So that not nothing about like having Robert Downey like it's not reviving Robert Downey Jr. It's just having Robert Downey Jr. play the character again, uh, mm. in a different universe sort of thing, which I'm not against because it's not. I don't feel like that's actually breaking. Like it's not bringing back the actual one that people cared about. So, um, or is it? If yeah, that's their plan going forward. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be dumb. But, yeah. I, if it was, let's bring him back and pay him whatever he wants so we can get people back to watching this movie. Wait, what a way to show you really fucked... You, like, that's just showing your cards. Like, you's lot, you's fucked up so bad that you've got to pay Robert Downey Jr. like $250 million a second to <laughs> appear in these movies. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting that the time period and when they've rushed out a bunch of content is when they're focused on more diverse characters. Um, so, you know, now they've kind of got a scapegoat. It's like, oh, we went to try and do a more diverse bunch of characters. Like, but they all failed. So I guess we're going to go back to white people. Yeah, well, I, I, what the, I can't remember where I saw it. I was looking this morning or somewhere. I think it was on Reddit. Somewhere. It was on, uh, I looked for like comment thread of people talking about the Echo trailer and people, no, what are they calling that now? The Marvel, um, Marvel Spotlight. Marvel we'll Spotlight. Yeah. So, but people were saying, I was showing for that and they're like, Marvel Spotlight, yeah, ha, ha. yeah, just, you mean place where we can have female and gay characters and stuff like, like but that was just like the front, like, the, like there's so many comments and shit like that. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what is, yeah. People just want every yeah. There there is definitely a section of the audience that you can't win over that just wants white dude superheroes, you know? Mm. And there's nothing you can do about that. Yep. All right, finishing up, uh, the key to reinvigorating Marvel may lie with the superhero arsenal that Disney acquired during its 2019 purchase of 21st Century Fox. That deal bought several blue chip heroes such as the X-Men and Fantastic Four back under the studio's control. Already fans are geeking out about next year's Deadpool 3, which unites Ryan Reynolds' Merc with the Mounts with Hugh Jenkins' Wolverine, and a reboot of Fantastic Four slated for 2025. As a bonus, the Fox editions give Fahi an opportunity to reimagine the X-Men franchise, the very property he cut his teeth on as a young executive at Lauren Schuel Donner's production company. Now that the WGA strike is in the review, Marvel has started talking to writers about bringing the X-Men back into the MCU fold. Uh, while Feige recalibrates, the rest of the industry is actually hoping that Marvel's best days are not behind it. Uh, writing the Marvel obituary would be ill-advised, says Jason Squire, executive Professor Emerus at USC School of Cinematic Arts and host of the Movie Business Podcast. Kevin Feige is the Babe Ruth of movie executives, and Marvel has the most profitable track record in movie history. No question. Are the X-Men and Fantastic Four the future of Marvel and getting it back on track? Making X-Men movies would be the choice. Um, the problem is, is they're going to... I feel like they're just going to fuck up by trying... They're not going to make X-Men and Fantastic Four movies with good X-Men and Fantastic Four stories. They're just going to be, again, just down this line of trying to think of them, how to fit them into the bigger universe and... 
you know, tying them in so it's all part of the bigger plot and all this sort of stuff. It's like, just fucking, like, get, sure, get to that in some crossover event down the line. But for now, you're at, you're at X-Men issue number one. What's their story? You know, we're not at mm. the crossover event. Just chill out. Yep. All right. Uh, so in, in related MCU news, uh, of course, the Echo trailer came out this week. We talked about it on a new Marvel cast, but in that same breath, they announced uh, the new branding Marvel Spotlight. Uh, according to head of streaming, Brad Winderbaum, Marvel Spotlight gives a platform to bring more grounded, character-driven stories to the screen. And in the case of Echo, focusing on street-level stakes on the over-larger MCU continuity. Just like comic fans didn't need to read Avengers or Fantastic Four to enjoy a Ghost Rider Spotlight comic, our audience doesn't need to have seen any other Marvel series to understand what's happening in Maya's story. Uh, Is this an interesting uh, idea when they're talking about a character who was introduced in Hawkeye? You don't uh, need yeah. to have watched anything MCU, except maybe the series that she was introduced in. I mean, I, I get it. Ultimately, I don't feel like you, you really need to watch Hawkeye. Like, I feel like they could cover very like in in one quick thirty second conversation, you can cover what's happened to her in Hawkeye to set people up for mm. the show. So I feel like that's fine. Um, as a branding and everything, are I, people too obsessed with having all the prior knowledge? Yeah. Which is not a thing in actual comic books. Like, people just buy an issue one or, like, jump in and whenever they say it's a good jumping in point. Also, you can just jump in and then they'll have the editor's note, like, as seen in this. And then if you care enough and like the comic or character enough, you can be like, oh, I might check that out. Yeah. But you don't actually, like, you don't pick up an issue of comic go, all right, so who's in this? Oh, this character's cool. So what are their thousand comics I need to read prior to reading this issue? You're yeah. Like, yes. Um, but as a branding thing, it's funny to me because I'm like, okay, so it's just the Netflix shows. Like, <laughs> to the degree, it's just like, here's the, I mean, yeah, it's just the Netflix and ABC shows. Like, here's, we're just doing that again, but like connected, but it's connected, but it's not connected also. It's connected, but yep. not enough that it matters yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool if they want to, like, tell standalone stories, I mean, and, like, definitively say, hey, just watch this, don't care about anything else. Um, I feel like they could definitely retroactively fit that into a couple of their things, like like Moon Knight, like Werewolf by Night. It's like, oh, we don't need, you don't need to have watched anything else, MCU, you can just start here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting idea and definitely... Uh, Hopefully we see some interesting characters going forward, which brings us to this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. Uh, Of course, you know, this week I thought let's do top three projects Marvel Spotlight should do. So what characters should they introduce in this with this Marvel Spotlight banner? Uh, Dylan, what's your number three? Number three is a little bit of a cop out, but they should just do Cloak and Dagger again, but under this banner. What? What? Just, just like keep the same. No, 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 no. Like, (laughs) like I don't know. Maybe they could do the thing where they continue on, like they're doing the Daredevil. Like they're not like the the getting rid of continuity. I don't know. Up to them. But I feel like just yeah, Cloak and Dagger. Like I always wanted to watch that show, and I watched like a little bit, but then it like got cancelled before I even got around to watching more. And 
whatever else and the whole ABC thing. And I was like, oh, whatever. But I like those characters. So. All right. Uh, my number three, Magic, uh, the X-Men character. Uh, she is, you've probably seen her in a bunch of stuff. She's the one with the big sword. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's got an interesting story where like she's, she gets uh, tricked into moving into limbo as a child uh, and eventually becomes the, like the, the ruler of limbo uh, before, you know, becoming an X-Men. So I think there's interesting story you could tell there. I especially enjoyed her arc in the Min- Marvel's Midnight Suns game. So I feel like uh, if you, Explore her backstory. I think you could, could do a reasonably interesting miniseries uh, around that character. So. Yeah. Still on to number two. Number two is Ghost Rider. Get it right. It's finally get it right. Fourth so time's the charm. Fourth time's the charm. Fuck it. Like, yeah, just do it. It's, you may have also seen Ghost Rider in that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number two is a character called Longshot, who is also part of the X-Men universe. Uh, so he's a, he's a being from another universe who uh, has amnesia, comes to Earth, uh, and soon learns he have like probability powers uh, in which he can influence things as long as he has uh, good intentions. Uh, so yeah, that seems like a character that's ripe for like a small story, uh, like, you know, trying to figure out who he is and then also like, I'm sure you could do some fun uh, visual effects or fun set pieces around that probability kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's my number two. Dylan, what is your number one? Number one, Howard the Duck. That's Full series. Choice. Seth Green still does his voice. Uh, it's it's like sort of like the last round of the comics. You know, it's like it's a joke, like, but it's not. <laughs> But it's funny, but serious, but like you shoot it and make it with like the full, um, you know, like 70s neo-noir vibe and everything. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Give me that. All right. My number one, Squirrel Girl. There's no way that Squirrel Girl would ever work as a character in the main MCU continuity or whatever. Just stick her in, tell a weird story with Squirrel Girl. She's fun. Enough said. <laughs> Doesn't need to be connected to anything. Just put her in the middle of nowhere. Doesn't need to be New York, you know. Just let it be Squirrel Girl. All right, let's move into giving some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, kicking things off, Lift, directed by F. Gary Gray, uh, starring Kevin Hart, Gugu, and Bartha. Bartha Raw, Vincent D'Onofrio, Ursula Corbero, Billy Magnuson, Jacob Batalon, Jean Reno, and Sam Worthington. A master thief is wooed by his ex-girlfriend and the FBI to pull off an impossible heist with his international crew on a 777 passenger flight from Zurich, or London to Zurich. Dylan, what do you think of this new Kevin Hart movie? Uh, I'll go one up, one down. It looks like it could be dumb fun, but also I just hate Kevin Hart in this. <laughs> like everyone, everyone else, and everything, I'm like, I'm fine. Kevin Hart, I just can't. I can't. Like, I was struggling. What you don't think is a believable lead, or I just, I feel like he's, yeah, like he's too his short. Humor does. <laughs> he's too short. <laughs> he's too short to be a thief. 
there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm one up, one down as well. I mean, it looks <laughs> fine. I didn't have that issue with Kevin Hart. Uh, I enjoyed the Billy Magnuson of it all and his uh, super enthusiastic you know, bit about wanting to put his arms in. And if there was a movie, everybody would want to put their arms in. Uh, but yeah, some of the effects doesn't don't look great. And like, they're definitely leaning into the Fast and Furious kind of elements of like, we're going to pull off them. There's crazy part, heist. There's a part in this trailer where it cuts a shot of someone moving the drive stick of the airplane down in time with the music, like they're switching gears in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not our plane. <laughs> All right. So Lyft releases on Netflix on the 12th of January, 2024. Next trailer is for The Sweet East. Directed by Sean Price Williams, starring Talia Ryder, Bella Cave, Simon Rex, Edda Berry, Jeremy O'Harris, Jacob Elordi, and Rish Shah. A high school senior from South Carolina gets her first glimpse of the wider world, pissgrass cities, and woods of the eastern seaboard on a class trip to Washington, D.C. Dylan, what do you think of the Sweet East? Uh, double thumbs up. Uh, wild trailer. Looks great. Don't know what the fuck's going on. Cool cast, though. We'll, would watch. Yeah, two thumbs up for me. Uh, similar sentiment. It's a weird trailer. I don't know what's going on. There's a bunch of different distinct looks within the trailer itself. There's a bunch of different styles of costuming and ideas. Um, just a bunch of weirdness that I'm on board with. Um, yeah. Just a, just a weird, wild trailer. Um, apparently, it, uh, I think it released at Sundance or something like that. A reasonably big festival, uh, finally getting released, uh, got very positive reviews. So I'm definitely keen for this one. It was releasing in the US on December 1st. No Australian release date. Next trailer is for Shogun, direct, uh, created by Rachel Kondo and Justin Marks, starring Cosmo, Jarvis, Hiroyuki Sonata, and Anna Sawai. Set in the 17th century, the story is told from the perspective of British hero John Blackthorne, a sailor who rises from outsider to samurai while being used as a pawn in Japanese leader Tarang... Torinaga's struggle to reach the top of the ruling chain or shogun. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer? Um, I understand it's based on a book and everything, but I feel like following a white dude rise through the ranks of a samurai is sort of like... Dated? Like, yeah, dated. I'm like, I, yeah, okay. Like, is this the same book that they based the fucking Tom Cruise movie on? I don't know. Um... It, I'll go one up, one down. It looked fine. Like I like the costumes and like visually, whatever else. It it looked cool. Uh, uh, Haruki Sonata obviously brings a presence to anytime he's on screen. Uh, but otherwise, it just looked a little like History Channel made sort of thing. I don't know. Like I, I, I just missing a little something. Yeah, I'll go one up, one down as well. I think the thing that was jarring for me is like they speak English the entire time. Uh, and then at the end, they speak Japanese. It's like, pick a lane. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, yeah. It looks interesting, uh, but we are getting kind of a glut of, like, that era, that time period, that setting stuff. Yeah, enough uh, Japanese. But enough Japanese. But yeah, you've had your time, you know? Don't you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's releasing uh, February... 2024 on Hulu slash FX into America, so probably coming to Disney Plus here in Australia, unless some sort of other deal comes through. 
doubt it because they're buying all that Hulu stock. So Disney's going to. Well, stick yeah, I was going to talk about yeah. that. But <laughs> it seems like uh, Disney's going to buy Hulu, which likely for Australians means all Hulu content will probably come to Disney Plus. Yeah. So that's good for us. Uh, next trailer is for the Family Switch, directed by McGee. Starring uh, Jennifer Garner, Ed Helms, Emma Myers, and Brady Noon. When a chance encounter with an astrological reader causes the walkers to wake up to a full body switch, can they unite to land a promotion, college interview, record deal, and a soccer tryout? Till them, what do you think of this? Uh, 13 going on 30, 17 again, slash Freaky Friday movie. I don't want one down. I mean, it's it's a family movie, obviously. It's a premise we've seen done a million times. But I'm like, I don't know. Like, looks like it could be, you know, a little bit of fun still. It's a it's a premise that keeps getting done because it is fun, I guess. Um, I'm keen to see uh, uh, what's her name, Emma Myers, like in this because obviously she was like standout in the Adam, uh, not Adam Sandler Wednesday series. Um, yeah, I like Jennifer. I like Jennifer Garner and Hill, so yeah, fuck it. Why not one day? It's two thumbs up from me. I think it's just it it's gonna hit that uh family vibe. Mm. On top of being a freaky Friday S movie, it's also a Christmas movie. So mm. And there's a baby uh, and a pig. No, a baby and a dog. A baby and a dog that <laughs> switch places. Yeah. So I mean what that's genius. Yeah. Um but yeah, it looks like it's gonna be the fun family movie that, you know, you kinda wanna watch sit around and watch at Christmas time. So that's exciting. Uh, or at least interesting. Uh, this is releasing on Netflix 30th of November. Last trailer for this week, the fall guy directed by David Leach, starring Ryan Gosling, Emma Blunt, Winston Duke, Aaron Taylor Johnson, had a wedding ham, Stephanie Shu, a battered and past his prime stuntman Colt finds himself working on a movie set with the A-list star, for whom he's doubled long ago. When the star goes missing and the film, which is being directed by a cult's ex-girlfriend, is in danger of being shut down, he volunteers to investigate the disappearance and find the missing actor. Dylan, there's all been a lot of discussion around this trailer, uh, and people are very split on it. Some people saying it's the downfall of all action movies, and everybody else saying it's going to be their new personality. Where do you fall on this scale? I'm confused. Why is it the fall of action movies? I have no idea. Because it's not John Wick. <laughs> I've watched this trailer three times. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> Double thumbs up all the way for me. I mean, I watch this trailer. Yeah, I've watched this every time I watch it. Like to me, I love fucking Ryan Gosling when he's doing these these action comedy films. Like fucking, like he's, he's he just sort of hits a perfect note. I feel like he's 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 weirdly made for them somehow. And watching this just reminded me why how how sad it is we never got more of the nice guys. Is <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> watching this trailer so um yeah. yeah triple triple thumbs up this is jumping whoa into, this is jumping into <laughs> where do you even get that chance <laughs> <laughs> so i put a toe up as well you know um this is yeah jumping straight into one of my anticipated movies of next year list i reckon um for sure yeah this is two thumbs up from me as well i think it looks really good looks really fun like obviously you know ryan gosling uh, he just, you know, he plays the reluctant everyman action hero very well, you know? Um, yeah, it looks like he's got great chemistry with Emily Blunt. Uh, the 
looks like fun sequences set in Australia. Yep. They multiple the shots o- of the with the shit, opera yeah. house and they're going over the Harbor bridge. It looks like big action sequence. So, you know, lots of spotting stuff for us Australians. I'm assuming. You know my favorite um, line from this trailer? What? It's the part where he like fights all those dudes at the club and it cuts to him talking to um, her at like the movie set after. He's like, oh no, in the club or whatever. He's like, I had no choice. I had to do some Jason Bourne shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it looks like it's going to be a fun action comedy. Comedy, a keyword there. Uh, lots of jokes and that kind of stuff. It doesn't need to be hardcore. So, uh, it's a love yeah. story. It's a rom com. It's actually a rom com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's releasing here in Australia on the 29th of February, 2024. Uh, Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? Uh, so, Captain Marvel will be the movie pick. And for the TV pick, I'm going with the Santa Clauses season two. Ooh, the Santa Clauses, which we're going to talk about over on All New Marvel Car, uh, on uh, a very explosion network Christmas. That's the one. That is the one. All right. Um, I mean, the Marvels is probably the one for me as well. Uh, we'll be doing we'll be doing a spoiler cast on All New Marvel Cast about that. Uh, but I'm also looking forward to the Curse, which releases uh, on what's Saturday on Paramount Plus, the new Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, Penny Safety joint, which looks like it'll be wild. Also, The Killer's out this week on Netflix. You should all go watch that, the new David Fincher movie. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I didn't forget about that, but like, I forgot that was out this week. And also NCIS Sydney launch. <laughs> Hell to the no. All right, let us know what you want to watch this week, what your top three MCU spotlight films are, or what you think is the MCU in shambles, has been constantly described around the internet. Let us know by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at what you want to watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, leave us five stars, any Quinn, leave five stars, or just tell people about the show. And if you enjoyed this episode, thoughts worth a dollar, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.